The year that this week's album was released, celebrities including Mark Ruffalo, Sarah Silverman, and Will Ferrell got together and ruined a perfectly good John Lennon song. In the face of a global pandemic, it kind of felt like insult to injury, and that was only in March. This week's artist hails from Carbondale, Colorado. And if that isn't enough of a hint, I can also add that Carbondale, Colorado is named for Carbondale, Pennsylvania, because its founding members evidently wanted to get away, but not too far away. This week's album takes its name from an adjective meaning relating to high mountains and a musical phrase or passage that brings a composition to an end. Any crossword lovers out there on Two Dudes and Tunes? The year, you probably remember it, was 2020. The artist is Jackson Emmer, and the album this week is his most recent work, Alpine Coda. Today on Two Dudes and Tunes. You're listening to Two Dudes and Tunes, the album review podcast that is on two-a-days until it can get itself back on track. I'm the third-string kicker. I'm Chris Robinson, and the QB of this whole thing is Wood Johnson. Blue 42! Blue 42! Hike! Omaha! Nah, it's football season, and I'm loving it, man. Been focusing on my dynasty football teams. How about you? Uh, Well... Uh, my team didn't make it to the postseason in Major League Baseball. Um, so I'm just basically going to cast around for whoever is the most fun to watch and uh, see how far they make it in the uh, this whole business. That's kind of where I'm at with sports. I, I, I've never been a huge football person. Like, I enjoy watching a good college game, but mm-hmm. I don't care about the Cowboys. I know I'm supposed to, but I just can't. I can't find it in my heart to care. Like they were good when I was like five or six or something. So I don't know. I, a good luck to you this football season. I'll say that much. I will say I was a pretty passive NFL fan, very much more a college football fan before I got involved in fantasy football with some of my friends. And that turned it into like a game to compete against them and gave me incentive to kind of pay attention and I yeah, love yeah. it. I love the gamesmanship and the the trash talking with a bunch of guys that I've gotten to know pretty well. Uh, my team name is always Wasted Potential, which is kind of a double entendre, both on wasting the energy, the, you know, the potential energy that I could be investing in something else. And then also <laughs> I'm generally fairly drunk when I'm doing it. So it's I love it. <laughs> We I should thought have it was called clever. This, we should have called this podcast Wasted Potential, I think. <laughs> no, nah, we're doing yeah, something. I, we're creating something together with it. Not just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not just tacking numbers to a board and going like, oh boy, I hope these numbers add up to a winning score. Yeah. I, my friend, one of my good friends from college uh, invited me this year to be a part of his, like, uh, jump on, on his, like, fantasy baseball team uh-huh. and i was like man I, I i i don't have the like bandwidth mentally or the free time in my life to do that but next year i'm definitely going to just like 
jump in feet first because I've watched enough baseball to be like, okay, I can make some terrible decisions that seem well-informed and and just kind of see what happens. It it sounds like fun to me, that kind of gamifying of a sport. I can see why people like it. And it gives like, for me, incentive to watch games I wouldn't usually watch. So, you know, I wouldn't tune into a Thursday night game between the bears and the Bengals or whoever but mm-hmm. because I'm starting the quarterback for the Bears, which hint hint, it's not going so good for us right now. Uh, oh no! <laughs> but if I'm starting the quarterback for the Bears, I'm likely to start watching that game, you know, to kind of make sure that everything's going okay. Uh, even though by the time the game starts, you're just a passenger in the seat waiting for it all to end. You can't change anything after the game starts. So it's like, all uh-huh. right, what's up? Yeah, I I like I. Uh, I I like the uh, ability to kind of evaluate individual performance mm-hmm. um, because it, it can kind of take the sting. I mean, and even just watching individuals in a sport, whether you're doing it in a fantasy setting or not, it kind of takes the sting out of losing a lot. Oh, yeah. Our, uh, the, so uh, for anybody who even cares about baseball, um, my wife and I follow the Kansas city Royals because we met in Kansas. Um, and we're evidently gluttons for punishment because they were second to last. I want to pause that there. Yeah. Where do the Kansas city Royals play? Kansas city. There's a little bit of Kansas city in Kansas. What, what, where is their stadium? A little bit of it. Where is their stadium? Uh, (laughs) It's probably, it's probably in Missouri. All the best parts of Kansas city are in Missouri. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we spent a lot of time in Kansas and, um, the stupid Rangers still have their games blacked out. So we can't watch Rangers games. Even if you pay for MLB TV, uh, you can't watch Rangers games. Um, and nobody should ever follow Houston teams. Uh, so we refuse to follow the Astros. Um, but anyway, all that to say the catcher, uh, Salvi Perez for uh, the Royals hit the most home runs of any player in that position. He's a catcher. So Mm -hmm. he has scored the most home runs in regular season of any catcher, I think in MLB. Yeah. So it's fun. Like even if we lose games, there are individuals that perform really well and we can kind of like cheer them on. If only our, Adding coach and pitching coach were different. We'd be in a better position, but that's, that's, that's a conversation I am neither willing nor equipped to go into or emotionally prepared for. (laughs) Yeah, no, certainly not that, not on that metric. If any other, Uh, what else is new for you? Uh, well, I've got a few things. I mean, we celebrated the big one for Maverick this past weekend so he turned one year old and we celebrated by having a awesome. small, a small get together with friends and family the weekend before last. And then over this weekend we had a cake for him and then we went and did uh, pictures on his birthday. So we had a professional photo shoot to kind of mark oh, one year, fun. which we both That's kind awesome. of regret not doing when he was younger. Like we should have done something when he was six months old because you know, whatever, but Oh man. Already getting into parenting regrets. Hey, He's only a year old. Find yourself a friend who is a very, very good photographer and has decent equipment and is willing to like 
take a couple of quick, like semi-professional snaps. Cause even though we have tons and tons, it's thousands of pictures of him on our iPhones and in our shared iCloud yeah. account or whatever, just does not make mm-hmm. up for having something that you can frame really nice and put up. And the pictures yeah. we got are phenomenal. And then I took uh, Tiffany out for a date to kind of celebrate his first birthday. Just, hey, we made it a year kind of thing. So my parents watched him for a couple of hours on Sunday night, and we went out and got steak and just kind of oh, that sounds great. spent a year congratulating ourselves for keeping a little human alive. Good. Uh, which was he good. seems like he's thriving. He doesn't seem like he's just, he's not just scooting <laughs> by. All the pictures I see on uh, on Facebook, he looks like he's having a good time. So. He is. He That's is awesome. Man. And he has Congrats. two whole teeth at the moment. So Two whole teeth. Are they on opposite sides? No, they are of, right, like, they are right together. <laughs> They're right oh, together. Nice. So he's got the like beaver teeth he's, going. He's got the beaver underbite going at the moment. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so, and he shows Love them it. to everybody just, hi. So, <laughs> Check out these chompers. Grew them myself. <laughs> Did this all by myself. That's uh, fantastic. But what else is new with you, man? Well, for me, I'm, I'm basically being pulled slowly down the drain of hobbies. I, uh, I was, I have a habit and I'm sure most of the, the, the hobbyists in our audience can relate to this. I have a habit of scrolling through Facebook marketplace, looking for a good deal on things that I don't need and don't have space for. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I finally bit the bullet cause I, it, my, my, like, I wouldn't call it my white whale. But the thing that I love is like finding a giant bulk lot of Lego Mm -hmm. and um, being able to kind of dig through that and find new pieces and stuff. So I found somebody selling like a giant, I don't know how many gallon, but a big old tote of Lego for like 50 bucks. Um, And it's great. It's Mm -hmm. fun. I've got a lot of new pieces, a lot of new like. Like I got some Ninja Ninja Turtle minifigures, mm-hmm. which is really great. I have I actually only have one of them, and then I have a ton of heads and shells. So I don't know if somebody was making like a turtle soup <laughs> model or something. Uh, but something terrible happened to these guys. But I the problem is I realized I I didn't have the storage capacity for all this stuff that I had bought mm-hmm. because it it looks like not a whole lot in a thumbnail mm-hmm. on a Facebook posting. Uh, but then you get it home and realize like, oh man, I am not prepared for this. So I had to run out to Walmart and get like six or seven. No, I think eight in total, eight different size Sterlite bins, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I'm a nerd and they have to be organized. Some of them by color, some of them by the type of piece that they are. Uh, so this podcast is now sponsored by Sterlite. Sterlite, because your man child needs a way to organize his hobby. Sterlite. That's, that's been my. Uh... Oh, what's your pitch? Tell me. I want to know what's your. Because if they do sponsor us, we're we're gonna need a few a uh, few taglines to throw around. Sterlite, because it's the only way I store tools and parts for that junky old Land Cruiser in my garage and all my home brewing stuff. Yes. And now a giant collection of baby bottles we don't use anymore. Sterlite. Yeah, the it, we're gonna be able to tag it. I'm Wood Johnson, and I approve this message. Exactly. Uh, and you know, what we also need, we need a tool sponsor. 
you because you're yeah, a new home yeah. new homeowner, and then me because I'm that hopeless romantic who says to, about everything broken, I can fix that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I might not ever actually fix that, but I, I could, could if I wanted to, and I need tools. Um, yeah, we, uh, we definitely, we need like, what we need is the, um, hello fresh, uh, not a sponsor, the hello fresh of tools where they like send you, <laughs> we'll send you a box of three tools that you didn't know you needed each week. If you send us $60 or whatever it is. Um, and how long you'd have a workshop after like a year or whatever. There is a company called Sonic Tools that makes all their tools in Wisconsin, I believe, that sells um, drawer organizers with all their tools in them. So you buy them one drawer at a time if you want, uh, kind of along that, that same thing. But they're expensive. idea. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Are they are they legit American made? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of worth it, I think, if you're gonna if you're gonna shell out the money. Yeah. Well, and they have kind of the old school craftsman tool model where if you break it, we'll buy it from you, kind of thing. You know, we'll replace it. Oh, very um, nice. Yeah, that's good. And so their big deal, since it's basically an online company, is you take pictures of your broken tool and then you record a video of you throwing it in the trash, basically, and they overnight <laughs> you a new one. It's like okay. Oh man, I love it. So they're a cool that company, is so though. So good. So they uh, yeah. they sponsor a lot of uh, the YouTube channels that like specialize in restoring cars or working on different things. So I see their tool carts all yeah. the time, and I'm like, how do I get them to sponsor me? Like I don't. Yeah. Need- <laughs> well, you we can start like a car restoration podcast, but I, I will know nothing them. about it. So. My pitch to them is <laughs> like send a- me all your tools. And I promise not to post any of me using them inappropriately. Like I will stop posting (laughs) content entirely. It's like a bribe in reverse. Yeah. It's like a blackmail kind of thing. (laughs) Only you're the one doing the like despicable act and they're the ones having to like, no, please, please, sir. Please, sir. No, keep your clothes on. Exactly. (laughs) Please don't use that unsafe welding technique. We'll sell you, sell you another wrench. Just, just go away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you are supposed to have the water running through your pipes while you try and like weld them. (laughs) Funny story about a craftsman wrench. Uh, And this is totally off topic, but my grandfather was the king of taking broken craftsman tools back to Sears to get a new one to the point that he would like go to houses that had burned to the ground and buy all the tools out of the garage take a complete oh, wow. set of burned out tools and get all new replacements for them. Uh, but <laughs> they drew the line when I was with them at about 12 years old and we needed to get a nut off of something on an old uh, Chevrolet C10 pickup truck that he had. And it was just frozen stiff and he tack welded his boxed end wrench to the bolt and then broke it loose and got it out. But now the wrench is ruined because it's <laughs> welded to a bolt. So he took it into Sears love it. with the bolt still attached and tried to get him to replace it. And they said, no, sir. That <laughs> is the nuclear option. I love that so much. That is so funny. Oh, that's amazing. I remember once I, um, uh, speaking of bolts, that made me think of this. Uh, one more story and then we'll get out of the automotive hour. I, uh, had a, I was driving between San Antonio. I think I was coming up to Lubbock to visit my folks. 
or I was leaving, but I had a flat mm-hmm. and I could not for the life of me get the, the lug nut off the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, you know, I, I got it to the point where I could like really lean on it. Couldn't get it off. Um, and so I called my dad and I was, cause I was like maybe half an hour outside of Lubbock or something. I don't remember where I was, but I called him and I was like, dad, is there any way you can like come out here and give me a hand and help me out? Um, and so he, uh, he came out there and between like me, him and my uncle, we got the bolt off, but the problem was that we sheared off the, the, um, the The actual, the the like, yeah, yeah. So we sheared that off. And, um, it, I, I have not always been good at taking care of cars. And so I was just like, well, it's got the rest of the lugs on there. It should be fine. Right. Well, it was designed for five kiddo. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I did. I know this now, but I did not then. And so a while later I was driving around in that car and, um, the car like lurched real bad to one side. And I was like, man, what the heck is this? So I pulled over and I had sheared another one of those, <laughs> one of the, the bolts off mm-hmm. because it was uneven. And, you know, over time that uneven bouncing mm-hmm. sheared off another one of those. And so I had to get that repaired and that was, uh, that was a fair amount of money. I'm sure. Um, I don't remember because I think my parents were very gracious and paid for it for me, but uh, I'm a lot better at taking care of cars now. Going back to my earlier comment, I could have fixed that for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, but the the real problem was the driver and not the car. There were there's an infinite number of times that car could have been fixed, and uh, I would have found some way to ruin it. But if it's not the same so car anymore. I'm thinking about. It was ready to be ruined when you got it, so. <laughs> that was a lot of them because my my parents were gracious enough to buy me vehicles but they weren't about to shell out a bunch of money for a new one which i don't blame them Mm -hmm. new cars are expensive and uh 18 year old idiots turn out turns out we're really hard on vehicles oh yeah (laughs) so um there's a learning process there for sure yeah i take good care of my vehicles now so you grew up because i'm I'm yeah. And I'm paying for them and I need them to last. Yeah, exactly. That, that $50 now is way better than 503 months. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, speaking about things that have gotten better, the longer I've uh, been around them, let's talk about this week's album. Well, okay. So Alpine Coda usually uh, on quote unquote, my episodes usually ask me to speak first about how the album made it onto the list, what my experience was with it. Uh, but I have kind of an extended spiel mm-hmm. about that. So why don't you tell me about your experience with it? You hinted at it a little bit, right? That mm-hmm. it got better the more you listen to it. Why don't you give me like a little preview of your feelings and then I'll kind of explain why this album is on my list. Yeah. So my first exposure to this album was actually about two weeks ago when it came up on the randomizer, uh, for, for what we would be covering. And I'll be honest. Uh, my first impression of it was, thank God it's not another depressing album, uh, at least by album artwork. Fair. Um, totally fair. (laughs) And it's not that the music has been depressing, but the artwork definitely gives off, uh, that vibe. 
the next kind of impact that it had on me uh, was listening to uh, Jackson's voice and going, what kind of Lyle Lovett impersonator is this? Uh, which <laughs> isn't a bad thing, but also wasn't like necessarily great. Uh, and then we were supposed to record this album as a part of a double after like three days of listening to it. And so I was not uh-huh. that hot on it uh, when yeah, we were supposed yeah. to do it originally. And so instead of recording that episode, you and I kind of talked about it a little bit and it was kind of one of those things where I asked if we could have another week with it, just let this one go to the back burner and we'll give me a, another, a full week instead of the, the usual three or four days to listen through it. And I'm really glad that we did. Um, first off by early shortly after that decision, it kind of dawned on me what works about this album, what doesn't um, it hits in all the right places though. Tiffany did listen to it with me in the car this weekend while we were driving to our aforementioned dinner date. And yeah, she said, well, and I gave her some of your backstory that you're going to tell here in a moment. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. she said without giving any of your backstory away, well, it proves Chris can actually play some music and this is way <laughs> too honky tonk for Chris. And That's like, how funny. can he, how can he say he doesn't like country music in general, but he loves this, uh, which was kind of funny. Uh, and so we talked about it a little bit. The thing that really comes through with Jackson uh, Jackson's music is just how clean it is. This is another one of those albums that's not produced by some mass market, big producer looking to sell a whole bunch of hits. It's a guy in a very tight knit group of, you know, uh, musicians and players and him. And there's just this very clean, simple folk bluegrass, traditional country kind of thing going on with the album uh, a lot of the tracks here cause you to slow down and think about what he's actually conveying. And he does this thing with his music independent from the words that draw you into the words. So you get this, this musical kind of crescendo that then tapers off to this plaintive kind of wording to whatever the topic is. And it just really kind of, edges you along as you're going. It pushes you in the direction he's trying to go. That is very, very traditional without sounding repetitive or even lame. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are also a couple of tracks on this that this is the wrong phrase for a traditional country and Western album that you would hear at like green dance hall or whatever. That is, there are a couple of tracks on here that are real bangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really are. So, yeah. <laughs> so with that, that was kind of my first impression. Very first impression was this is cool that it's different. It's something else. Uh, it is very much in my, I don't know, my wheelhouse, if you will. The it's yeah. something that I listened to and immediately liked the sound to. But then I was drawing too many comparisons to other people that. He probably isn't really impersonating, but he kind of comes across as a little bit. Um, he's got a yeah. he's got a hint of um, uh, David Allen Coe. He's got a hint of Lyle Lovett, mm-hmm. which is funny to me yeah. because both of those guys were roommates in college at A and M. Uh, so oh, there's, there's a lot of crossover there. 
Is that, I feel like a ton of modern uh, country guys have come out of A&M. I'm not surprised, uh, the, but it's the, funny that the they just all country, happen to be there at yeah. the same time. The outlaw Texas kind of country scene, yeah, it's very A&M Ford. The funny thing about that is their roommate, the, the third roommate in the house they rented across from a Baptist church, uh, went on to become one of the country's preeminent preachers. For a bunch of years, mm. so you got that's interesting. You know, David Allen Coe, or sorry, Robert Earl Keen, David Allen Coe, Lyle Lovett, and this this preacher who are all college roommates drinking beer in their underwear in front of a church. Uh, <laughs> pretty great. Uh, that's the only way to drink uh, drink beer in front of a church. You've got to go that extra mile and be in your skivvies. Robert Earl Keen has a song called "The Front Porch Song." where he talks about, you know, living in that house and there's a line in it about them being hung over beer cans all over the front yard, uh, picking on the guitar, playing music. So the women from the Baptist church would have something to say uh, at lunch you know, on their way to Luby's yeah. or whatever. <laughs> uh, it's a great That's song. That's fantastic. I love it. Uh, so what was, yeah. what was your uh, tie to this album? Why is this on your list now that I've babbled on and on? No, you're good. You're good, man. If you didn't babble on, we wouldn't have a podcast. Or it would just be me like screaming into the void and nobody wants that. I kinda wanna do um, a, I kinda yes. wanna do a podcast that's basically like data providing information. Like it's just facts and then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> short yeah. short just and like sweet. Steady stream. Yeah, there you go. Um yeah, so I I have a little bit of a story to tell with this album because I know Jackson personally. Um, and, and I didn't just put this album on my list because like, Oh, like he's my buddy. Give it. Yeah. yeah I got to give a shout. No, I, I, this is not just an arbitrary shout out for a friend. Like I really love this album. Uh, so we can wind the clock back a little bit to start the story. Uh, in 2018, I was playing regularly in the worship band at the church that I attend. And the worship leader uh, at the time, a uh, friend of mine, he was throwing like a um, like an appreciation dinner that was kind of supposed to be equal parts appreciation dinner, but also a little bit of like professional development and inspiration. And so he told us that he was going to have the singer-songwriter Jackson Emmer uh, come perform for us. And at that point, I, uh, I was kind of sick of playing worship music. I hadn't like figured out that that's how I was feeling, but I was just kind of, I don't know, displeased, I guess you could mm -hmm. say. Burned out. Uh, yeah, burned out. And so when, um, when our worship leader told us that he was going to have the singer-songwriter, I just kind of assumed like, oh, it's just going to be some like CCM garbage. Kari um, Job again? Really? No, I'm yeah, sorry, Kari. It, it, you, <laughs> you say that, but that was the thought that went through my head. It was like, ah, oh, man, I got to listen to another Stephen Curtis Chapman ripoff. Uh, <laughs> but uh, since I kind of felt a little bit of an obligation to go, I went ahead and checked out Jackson's music and found out that I really did kind of like it. Like I, I had some friends in the band who didn't go because they were like, uh, it's country. I don't like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I loved it. And then I went 
to the event and really thoroughly enjoyed his music. He brought with him this time around a, uh, a guitarist whose name I should have looked up and don't remember and a fiddle player mm-hmm. with him. And it was just a really fantastic solo experience. So fast forward to 2019, uh, we were having some kind of uh, another, I think this was just like for grins, like a get together with a bunch of people from the band. It was a little bit of a song swap thing. People got up and played covers uh, and Jackson uh, our worship leader asked Jackson to show up and he did. And he invited me up to play with him mm-hmm. and I got to, and it was really a ton of fun uh, because I, as you kind of alluded to, uh, I, I, I like some country. I like a lot of the guitar playing. I like the licks. I like some of the songs. They aren't um, so just I got four chords of, over and over and over again, the same four chords. No, they are. They're just the right four chords <laughs> and a good melody over top of them. Uh, and so it, it was, I found myself flexing a muscle that I had never really used that much before. And I really liked it. Well, fast forward again to January of 2020, uh, our worship leader put together another event like this. And uh, Jackson actually contacted me beforehand and asked if there were some songs of his that I like, would I be interested in getting up there and playing with him? And so that we could actually like rehearse a little bit. And so I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. And he actually sent me some unmixed unedited or not unedited, but you know, unmixed unmastered tracks from, yeah, from this album Mm -hmm. so that I could like play along with them. And so I did, and it was just such an enjoyable experience, not only getting to watch him perform as a solo performer, but getting to play with somebody who is kind of better at what they do than you are really helps you grow as a musician and is always like a really edifying experience. Um, and the other thing I want to tag on to the end of this story before we kind of launch into what we actually feel about the album uh, is that every time I've gotten to see him play or played with him, it's really kind of revived my drive to work on music. Um, I've probably kind of talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but being in the workaday world at a job that I am not, you know, that I'm doing to make money and put bread on the table. I'm not pursuing this as a career. Uh, It just kind of makes you question like, well, did I even do the right thing? Like, why did I spend all that time and money Mm -hmm. getting a degree in music? Like what is even the point of all this? And so every time I've gotten to play with him, it's kind of helped me get back in touch with that part of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And, Another thing, like just seeing his skill and dedication, uh, no matter what the circumstances were, like recently him and his wife had a child, um, you know, before that, well, and right now still, you know, being in the middle of a global pandemic, um, you know, he still makes music and records things and uh, up until very recently was playing shows and things. 
and so his music is inspiring to me, not just because it's fantastic, but because I've gotten to have these kind of like firsthand experiences with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is why this album is on my list is it's got a lot of meaning for me personally, as well as being an album that I re- really enjoy. Yeah. Well, I really came to appreciate just in the limited time that I've had with this album, how wholesome his approach to music is. It reminds me of a guy that you used to play with at journey fellowship, uh, back in the days who, when I first met him, he was living out of a car and I was probably eight or nine years old. He had just moved from Oklahoma and was quote unquote living out of his car. He was staying with his brother and sister-in-law in San Antonio and they had brought him to a church retreat in Big Bend where we were staying in cabins in Big Bend National Park. And here's this guy who literally only owned the clothes on his back and the guitar that he was playing. And I remember just, it's a, it was like a beat up old tailor. It was falling apart, but he had lovingly like taken care of it and was making it last. And in the evenings after, you know, this retreat is we're all kind of sitting around the fire. He's just sitting there kind of playing just from the heart. It's not produced. It's not anything. It's just him yeah. playing and having, you know, a moment he's living through what he's playing kind of thing. And I feel like Jackson has a lot of that same energy on this album. It's a guy who mm-hmm. his playing is the same as breathing. If he weren't, if he weren't playing, he wouldn't be breathing kind of thing. It's natural and it's, it is, it has its own life force. And I really like that on this album. I mean, one of the like one word reviews I had for this album is I was thinking, because I try to synthesize things down to the most base, like what is this album Uh, when Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it? And I think I'm going to start incorporating what was the word that an album got uh, as I'm doing that. that. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and try and do that next week. But okay. So what was your word? And it'll go right before uh, worst and best. But this week, my word sounds good is pure. Like this is just a very pure experience. Um, I, I got all romantic thinking about it, uh, about where my family is from. My family is from a town Mm -hmm. in West Texas called Brownfield, not Brownsville down by the border in the ocean, Brown field, which is literally yeah, what is yeah. all that is out there is just Brown fields. <laughs> I live in the middle of some Brown fields. Yeah. Let me tell you. And one of I the, gotcha. one of the things that just kind of came to me as I thought through like what montage would be playing as this album is playing, what, what visuals go with this album. And I just kept thinking back to the main street of Brownfield, which Brownfield peaked as a city or as a town at like 15,000 people in the 1940s. And since then, it's been on a steady decline. People have moved to the big city like Lubbock or, you know, elsewhere. And the city has never seen the kind of economic revival that some other little places have. And so you've got this main street that still has sections of the street that are hand laid brick that were laid during the great yeah. depression by the, the workers authority to keep people, the farmers employed. You've got the old courthouse, you've got the boarded up buildings and the old car dealerships and all the old things. 
um, out there that are kind of in a state of they're frozen in time. The signage is all still there. The, the, the window displays in a lot of cases are still there. It's just this place that doesn't really, it exists in like a vacuum almost. It won't have tenants again, probably. It kind of sounds bleak and depressing, but there's something to say about that small town feeling that this album kind of gives you um, that frozen in time kind of, I don't know, you long for the good old days kind of thing. And in the case of this album, I really felt connected to that place where I'm from because of it. And really it's because Jackson is just such a great artist as far as painting the picture of the album and letting you come to the conclusions that you need to come to from it. He's not just saying, this is what this song is about, or this is what this is. It's here's my song. Now run with it, do what you will with it. Yeah, he uh, he takes a lot of inspiration from a lot of great songwriters uh, and great songwriters in terms of their skill, not necessarily their notoriety. Mm-hmm. A guy that he is really influenced by that I listened to a little bit this week uh, is a singer songwriter by the name of John Prine, who oh, a lot yes. of people... John yeah, Prine a lot of people is awesome. Played his music. Yeah, and see, I had never heard of him. He's he's one of those guys who like the really good songwriters look at this guy as like their Hendrix or whatever, you know, maybe not necessarily known to the public. Um, But that kind of you you bring up the word pure, that kind of integrity of. I mean, I hate to say product because it's art, it's not a product, but the integrity that uh, is kind of represented in his music Mm -hmm is really like you get you get to really taste that when he is performing solo Mm -hmm. um uh, it was the thing that really struck me whenever i watched him play uh and it is that like you're saying there's no it doesn't feel like there's uh an agenda like he's not necessarily trying i'm i'm sure there are maybe things that he hopes you get from his music uh but in the same way that john prine has like a lot of humor and just like really excellent songwriting excellent craft that's that is jackson emmer to a t mm-hmm. um And I think the thing that makes this album so good is he has figured out how to take the live experience, this really intimate setting. He plays quite softly and understated on the guitar. Uh, He sings like a turtle dove, like his voice is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's got a lot of humor, not only in some of his lyrics, but in relating to the audience and the things that he says and the atmosphere that he creates. He's figured out how to capture that in a record, which, which I think is interesting because there, there is a lot more instrumentation. There's a lot more going on. There's a full Mm -hmm. band behind him. Uh, And yet it, it felt to me in some ways like going to a Jackson Emmer show 
Um, and I, what, what were you going to say? I think I, I, I was rambling and you were going to say something. Well, no, I just wanted to tie in that, you know, when it comes to albums like this, these are the kinds of albums that I get really excited. And these are the kinds of artists that I get really excited for live versions of the album. You know, most, mm-hmm. most bands, they put out a live version version of their album and it's so sterile. They're so busy focused on yeah. being the best they can be. And it's just not a real experience, but artists mm-hmm. like Jackson Emmer, John Prine, who has some of the greatest live albums I've ever heard. Um, even Johnny Cash, like, you get this interaction with the artist that breathes new life into the music and you hear what they are about. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about the music. It's about the audience that you want to listen to the music. And there's so much of this kind of music that is a collaborative effort between you and the audience that you're entertaining. Uh, uh, One of the things uh, I texted you kind of behind the scenes uh, going back to the front porch song by Robert Earl Keen. There's a couple of different versions yeah. of it that are out there. The best version is the live version. You get these guys interacting with people. You get the, the, the feeling of what the music is really all about. It's not just me singing into a can to make a record and calling it a day. It's about having some sort of almost otherworldly spiritual connection between you and your audience. Um, he is so I, I want to see Jackson live because this album, you immediately, the first thing I went to when I started getting on board was what would this be like live? Why, yeah. why isn't there a live yeah. version of this album yet? Like I want to hear somebody hooting and hollering and him telling somebody to calm down and you know, just, yeah. let's go. Yeah. So, so it, it's, so let's, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, the, about him as a musician, uh, just just to talk about the mechanics of it mm-hmm. uh so the the first thing you notice about his music or at least that I did was his voice uh he's got this like really kind of it, it, he doesn't have a really high register mm-hmm. uh I, I i don't think it qualifies as a baritone it's probably a tenor if it's anything um but he's got this kind of rasp but also like kind of a feather lightness to the way he sings. And I don't know, I don't know how he does it. Like he's got an unironic twang when he sings too. You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of country on the radio that just sounds so silly. Like somebody that I feel fairly confident in picking on is Keith Urban. Keith Urban, who is, by the way, audience, Australian. from Australia. <laughs> uh, but he puts on this ridiculous, you know. Hick accent. It's not even a real Western. Yeah. No, it's just silly. And so much country music on the radio is just drenched in this, like, howdy, y'all, like, twang. And it bothers me so bad. Um, but Jackson's voice just feels really true to himself and when you speak to him uh he he is kind of he sings the way he is he's a pretty at least from the few interactions i've had with him he's a pretty laid-back guy Mm -hmm. 
and so his voice kind of represents that. Uh, he's got kind of a wry sense of humor. And I get the impression there's probably a little bit of a wild side to Jackson Emmer. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the guy that well. Uh, I've just had some really pleasant interactions with him. But um, you kind of get that in his music. Like he has, he has a, a way of being himself musically that I really envy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another thing that I think goes along with the way he is as a person, the way he expresses himself musically is as a guitarist, he is really solid, but he does a lot with a little. Um, I, I was surprised when I would watch him play how little he was actually playing and how much of a song he could create with just some really simply picked acoustic guitar chords. You know, he's not playing like Chet Atkins picking patterns. There's a little bit of a bass line going on in the bottom. You know, he does some folksy traditional stuff. Uh, But it's really engaging without being too much or like, hey, watch me put on this like finger picking clinic on how to play bluegrass or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I think all that stuff is really, he has figured out how to arrange all these things with a full band to be a record that you can listen to. You know, I, I would listen, I would put on a solo live album of his, if such a thing existed because he's really excellent, but he also has, you know, he has musical aspirations beyond just like me and a guitar. Uh, and so I think whether it's producers or just his own taste or what, everything really hangs together in a way that gives you kind of this, like sucks you in Mm -hmm. to the stories he's telling and like creates a, a little country world for you to live in for an hour. I'm uh, scrolling his blog right now because he seems to be pretty active online. And we're recording this on September 28th. On September 24th, he wrote a blog post called Honky Tronica. Uh, It's a new sound on the horizon for an album he's writing. It's a combination of country folk with electronic instruments. So... Yeah, he sounds like fun. he doesn't seem. Yeah, he doesn't seem like uh, the kind of person to just limit himself to one or two things. He's really good at doing what he's best at, um, but you know, I I I get the impression that should he you know continue to find purchase in the live music scene in Colorado, and you know continue to make money playing music, he's going to keep doing that as long as he can which I'm glad. But what do you I, think? So his voice, I wanted to talk about his voice for a moment. Yeah. I have not heard his speaking voice. I've only heard the way he sings and he kind of sings like I would imagine him to speak a little bit. He would be a mesmerizing audiobook guy. Like I would be into listening to whatever uh-huh. he was reading. Uh, Absolutely. You, you mentioned his register earlier. He's kind of got like an every guy kind of voice. That does not mm-hmm. blend in. It is it is front and center. Absolutely. And it's just yeah. very unique. Um kind of kind of something that stuck out to me. Yeah, well, and 
and one of the things I love about his voice is that he has figured out he, I mean, if you want to put a thesis over our whole discussion, it's this guy knows himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, he knows what he is good at. He knows how to, where to push himself and where to just kind of lay back and do the things he's best at. Um, because there's a nice range of songs on this album. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, this is not something that is as scattershot as some of the other records we've listened to, but it's also not just the same song nine times. Uh, he's got some like kind of just what I would call straight ahead contemporary country and songs like when the lawn gets dark, turn up uh, the jukebox is very, yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He can do traditional honky tonk, turn up the jukebox, which is such a great song. Uh, but he can also do really sparse kind of singer songwriter stuff like his live shows, like, uh, the song anything once and we kill what we love. Both of those tunes are like just sitting and watching him perform. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like him and a guitar. And I think, uh, like anything once I think has harmonica in it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I, there's and like, it, yeah, it has probably one of the greatest turns of phrase. And the greatest crime of this album is the lyrics are not available online. And I didn't have liner yeah. notes, so yeah. I'm just kind of like guessing my way through them. Uh, but it has one of the greatest like witty lyrics about I'll try anything once or twice or maybe three times. Like it's just yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, and that that kind of like that the content I think is what holds the whole album together. He's got different styles that he delves into. Uh, he can kind of do up-tempo songs. Uh, you want to talk about songs? Whatever. You want to talk about songs that like put you in a mood and really get you in the zone. The Little Things is amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, and, it's so good. And the one that Tiffany and I both found ourselves singing after you know, an hour and a half or so in the car was Acetaminophen. Mainly oh. because... It's just oh, so great. And it's so catchy. Like you just want to sing is. that song along with it. He, you know, it, you, you said you were glad to not have another like sad indie album. And there are some like really sad moments well, on this album, I think, but it's not just all the thing it, is, it's not just all like moping <laughs> this song, this album kind of follows the same model of a good traditional country album. And that is, it's got a little bit of everything for everybody. And the secret to success in that model is that the album is balanced for every, for every downer, there's a moment that's equally up and they not, they don't cancel each other out, but they definitely kind of yeah. reset you to be ready for whatever mm -hmm. the next thing is. And he does a good job or, you know, somebody in his production staff really does a good job of laying the album out in a way that makes sense, but also isn't mm -hmm. just all the good stuff's up front. And then we got some downer stuff here and then we got a ballad here and then we needed a line dance. So let's get that in there. Like it follows kind yeah, of a, yeah, yeah. a formula that keeps you 
at like a baseline. So we go up, but then we come yeah. back down and then we go down a little bit, but it keeps us steady and true. And what that does for me as the listener is when it gets to the last track on the album, you kind of know that that's got to be the end of the album or else we're starting this journey over again. There's it's either the end yeah. of the album or there's three more songs because of the way the, the, the metronome works on that album. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to loop back and I'm going to enjoy looping it all over again. And so I listened to this album no less than six times this week because it just mm-hmm. kept playing again and it's like i can do this again let's go and there's some great music on here because of that like you really dive into i did not skip any songs on this album Uh -uh. once i was familiar with it it kept playing i didn't skip anything yeah there's not anything on this album that i want to skip because it does have a kind of a journey that you go on through the whole thing one of the things i i was thinking about today listening to it uh, was the final two tracks, uh, Acetaminophen and We Kill What We Love. They kind of feel to me like the end of a movie mm-hmm. and then the credit sequence. Mm-hmm. Like um, We Kill What We Love sounds like the kind of thing that plays over the credits of like a Coen Brothers film. Mm-hmm. And maybe we bring them up too much because both of us just really like Coen Brothers movies. But it has that sort of contemplative slower feeling and then acetaminophen before it even though it's a very slow track uh it's really orchestral it's big uh it's got some u2 energy as far as like the big echoey guitar like the guitar playing on acetaminophen is one of my favorite things in the whole album because it really i don't know just underscores what he's talking about lyrically so well i think this is going to be a callback to a show that a lot of people hate now that it's been over for long enough for us to realize it wasn't that great of a show, but back in the day (laughs) I loved it and whatever. Um, But Uh acetaminophen is the kind of song that would have been a montage song in a JJ Abrams directed episode of lost. Like he was the master of musical montages or, you know, that show is the master of musical montages and acetaminophen just fits right in there. Uh, So good. I mean, that song is one of my favorite songs on this album. It's not my favorite, but um, yeah, Uh, man, I, I put here in the show notes, um, acetaminophen is really a hell of a word to try and cram into a song. Uh, oh, well, like, you do it like this, Chris. You go, Acetaminophen. He leans on every. He, he was like, Each you know what? Not only am I going cord. to put this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not only is this word going to be in the song, but you are going to get a taste of every single syllable, and you're going to like it. And like, I loved it. It's like so it was funny. so great. Yeah. And it's like, I was really like, happy it, he pronounced it correctly. That's one of those words that gets botched by everybody, especially with a country twang. And he got it right. So A plus uh-huh. for science. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me, uh, not in the sound of it, but it reminded me of that. There's that nineties grunge tune. I'm going to, I'm going to look the name of the song is cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fun. At, like, 
it's it's by this like one hit wonder band, Seven Mary Three, and the lyrics are I have become cumbersome and cumbersome isn't cumbersome, which I think is like really good. Like it feels awkward me having said it more than one time in a sentence. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, whether it's the acetaminophen award or the cumbersome award or whatever, <laughs> he definitely deserves like a pat on the back from somebody or a, a Nobel prize for literature since they're chucking those at everybody these days. Yeah. Cause music counts as literature now. The future is dumb, kids. Let me just tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Dumb with one M. Um, Wait, there's a B on there? Yeah. uh, Depending on who you are, no. Maybe not. (laughs) Um, But speaking of his lyrics, I just want to touch on his lyrics before we move on. Um, He has really personal, I, I keep harping on that. I feel like Every episode, I'm like, was this personal? Did I feel like the artist bared their soul or were they just giving me some sort of calculated, you know, auto-tuned pop nonsense? Uh, But he kind of mixes really personal, simple, uh, revealing lyrics with like some kind of evocative, out there sort of imagery. Uh, Like the tune, When the Lawn Gets Dark, uh, he talks about the I guess the main characters of the song slow living buddy got no eye on the summit uh, and then later he calls the the care uh, some of the characters in the song methadone cowboys staring at the sun which is just such a like I mean you can think of it literally as like drug addled mm-hmm. dudes like just staring at the sun but it also kind of like paints an interesting like atmosphere mm-hmm. um, you know we've talked about place and how place is represented in music like i have been that idiot like like out here in the plains you just kind of like if there's nothing else to stare at you just kind of look at the sky mm-hmm. and you can catch yourself like oh geez i've been like staring at the sun for a minute yeah. <laughs> i need to yeah, you know look down put the glasses on or whatever um and then you had mentioned the tune uh little things which was like probably uniformly like everybody's favorite song live because it it is such a like plaintive love song um uh he, he says one of the things he says to kind of paint this picture of i assume his wife um it's how you tie your worn out shoes how you look when you bend the truth uh you know you've got this abstract picture of how you look when you bend the truth mm-hmm. that's the the only way you're going to know how somebody looks when they do that is if you know them really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, you know, it's this line that is talking about, you know, when you bend the truth, like talking about dishonesty, which, you know, there are a thousand little white lies we tell each other in relationships or whatever. And sometimes the person you're telling the lie to knows, and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that implication, not only of honesty and, or not honesty, uh, of, like intimacy, but also like, I don't want to say the darker side of relationships, but the very human relatable side. Mm -hmm. Um, And then something like that being next to something as simple as like how you tie your worn out shoes. You know, I, I think it's to uh, quote the song, it's the little things (laughs) that he does in his lyrics that I think are super effective. Um, 
and then the last thing I want to bring up just lyrically, one of the things he says in one of his songs that I really love once again, from the song, acetaminophen, uh, land of milk and broken skin, stolen orchards and acetaminophen. Also another award he deserves is rhyming outside of the really obvious rhyme schemes. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing in his lyrics that feels overly predictable or boring or like he reached into his book of cliches and was like, oh, well, this will fit here. You know, God this is like suffice. a waterfall or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's there's no like, I'll settle for this. Um, and just having heard him talk about songwriting, he really, really does take it seriously. He spends lots of time, excuse me. Lots of time writing some of these songs. Um, he uh, he gets together with other people, like he's gotten together with other songwriters who are more accomplished than him, and sat down and hashed out tunes. You know, he writes. Um, there was a period of time he was telling me uh, that there was a period of time where he would try and write a song a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have to be good. Didn't have to be very long but he's really dedicated to the craft and really like writing a song that is true to himself and has something to say and is executed the best way possible. Yeah. Well, it shows. Yeah. I, I, I am glad that you liked this album and got to spend some more time with it. Cause I would have been real sad if you got on and been like, well, it's, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Um, I would say we should, uh, move on to critical reception. Uh, but there wasn't really any, um, this album, as I said at the beginning, uh, came out, uh, and during the year 2020, which we all know was a complete wash. Couldn't get anything done. So Mulligan. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so I think the touring for this album was obviously kneecapped and that's kind of the thing that everybody looks at because the album before this one jukebox he got to tour that extensively there was a review of it in the rolling stone that was really favorable um but no really reviews for this exist that i know of except for the ones that we're about to give uh so hopefully jackson plows on and People, yeah, exactly. We are the the first major press publication to uh, review this. I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to stick by it because there are probably no consequences for making such an outlandish statement. All right, Chris. So let's talk about reviews on that note. Uh, Just a reminder to our listeners We use a one to six guitar string review model. One string being, oh, I don't know, like somebody who just sort of learned how to play Freebird at Guitar Center but isn't very good. And then six strings being Paul McCartney playing for the Queen. Uh, So that's going to be our review scale for this week. Uh, You know, no, no stairway, though. No stairway. (laughs) <laughs> no, no stairway. Please, no, um, no smoke on the water. That's another one that has recently become like verboten. Oh, dude. You go to Guitar Center. 
There's a long list now. Basically, just don't play 70s rock. Like, show some social yeah. initiative. <laughs> so, show some respect. Show some to respect. The instrument that you're considering buying. Show some respect for music that's older than your grandparents in most cases. So, going back to the automotive thing, it's the automotive, like, it's the automotive equivalent of like getting in the car with the salesperson, test driving it, and like, going 90 down the highway and doing, doing donuts in the parking lot. Like, don't do that. As, as you learn more and more about car culture, it's the automotive equivalent of a Mustang crashing into a crowd of people at cars and coffee. It happens way too often. (laughs) Just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, hopefully this album was not a one string car crash. So what did you, what did you feel about (laughs) us? Give, give us your thoughts. First off, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of that comparison. That was really dumb. Uh, I've been, I've been watching videos of uh, rally group B from the eighties, which uh, just to sum it up for the audience, even though I know you guys don't care, it was basically like the rowdiest rally car racing that ever was and killed drivers and spectators alike. Yeah. So uh, don't, don't be the, don't be group B yeah. if you're don't, making music out there. Don't ruin it for the rest of us. All right. So we've already established that I am pretty much beholden to this music style. Uh, a lot of the albums on my list have some sort of, country honky tonk roots the artists that i just tend to enjoy kind of came up on that circuit did the whole performing at rodeos and all that kind of thing so this is this is my kind of music this felt like home to me like i said earlier and i love just about everything about this album i'm gonna go ahead and give the one thing that just really bugged me about it though and the reason that this will not get a perfect review from me because uh, the more I was exposed to it, the more it bugged me. And that is this album kind of throughout the whole album is just a reverb bomb. There is a lot of just homespun, not mastered quality sounding reverb that drapes over the entire track. It's not just the guitar had reverb or the voice have has reverb the voice and the guitar have the same reverb applied to them. And there's just this thing about it that cheapens the whole experience to me. So I'm going to get that out there and say, that's what I don't like about this album. And it, it almost feels like a musical sin in itself because we hear it fairly often, uh, especially with albums that weren't produced in some massive studio environment. I can remember, you know, I can remember when I was working in a small studio and kind of the fix for any sort of musical sin was just turn up the reverb a little bit. But it's kind of this musical paradox that you see in Spinal Tap with my amp goes to 11, so I'm going to turn it to 11. Well, just because the reverb knob goes to 11, maybe you should turn it down to six uh, is kind of where I am with it. Um, that said this is an album that I immediately felt comfortable with. And while I've spent the last like 90 seconds griping about homespun sounding reverb, I still really like this album. That is the one thing I do not like about this album. So 99 problems and the, 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 the album itself is not the problem. All those problems are the reverb. Uh, (laughs) So 
I was hooked from moment one on Jackson's voice, hooked on his instrumentation. The people in his band have this organic, living kind of nature. The music just feels alive. It's not something somebody just recorded to get recorded. It's something that you could tell they felt in their being as they made it, and it's a part of them. From a country music kind of standpoint, one of the boxes that you have to tick is, is this something that is easy to sing along to? And like I said earlier, after one complete listen through on this album with my wife in the car, we were both kind of singing along to most of the tracks on it, including the aforementioned acetaminophen, uh, which was a lot of fun because she's a nurse and we both met in nursing school and we know every drug fact you can possibly know about that drug. And so it was funny that when he was singing that line, we would list like a side effect or something that could be wrong with you while you're uh-huh. on acetaminophen. Uh, I love it. Jackson seems like the kind of guy that I would want to hang out with. He seems like a musician that isn't too full of himself as a person. And he seems like the kind of guy that I'd like to have a beer with and just kind of shoot shoot you know the breeze with and have a great time just chatting with his songs seem like the kind of songs that he would play with friends and come up with new ideas and twists on and it'd be fun to be a a party to that kind of thing happening his style kind of makes me and the way he is off stage really makes me wish that i could be more a part of like his life and experience his perspective on life Because a lot of it comes through in his songwriting and his performing, and it's something I admire and kind of would like to be exposed to more often. Last week, I bemoaned, or not last week, two weeks ago, I bemoaned Fink uh, and how small his audience was, that he was underserved by the, you know, I think I said 10 or 15,000 people a month that listen to his music on Spotify. And it was even worse when I went and looked at Jackson Emmer's page. This man deserves an audience. He has earned an audience and his music should be played in every honky tonk in America. It should be something that is part of the cultural lexicon for kind of outlaw country. And he should get the recognition he deserves because he is a phenomenal songwriter. He's a phenomenal performer and he is a phenomenal artist as a whole. I feel like this album demands respect from you, the listener, because it is so nuanced and well put together. And it was done by a guy in a small studio in Carbondale, Colorado, with nothing but passion and some friends to play along with him. I will continue to grow an appreciation of his music because of that. So with that said, this is a five out of six strings. How about you, Chris? What was your take? Well, uh, um, like any great podcaster, I want to start by talking about myself. <laughs> That's what we're um, really here for. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh man, we're sad. Uh, anyway, um, so my relationship with the genre of country music has been taken in baby steps over many years. I have mentioned on this podcast, I wasn't raised with it. I didn't grow up on it, uh, and so it's taken me a while. Uh, I really only started thinking about country music in pretty favorable terms after living in flyover country and having 
a job where I was out in rural Kansas uh, for a lot of the time and just kind of being in that world. Um, and the thing that I noticed about country that I really love, it's is that it's frank and honest. And that to me is what Alpine Coda is. Alpine Coda has that in spades mm-hmm. because, you know, life is multifaceted. Not all of life is my wife left me and my dog died. Uh, sometimes life is the little things. Sometimes life is, I don't want this job, uh, or rather I don't want this. And in parentheses, job interview song. It's one of my favorite songs on this album where Jackson kind of waxes eloquent about having to get a real job when all you want to do is write songs and play them for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes life is getting down in the mouth about the issues that affect where you live as a whole. Songs like Acetaminophen and We Kill What We Love are like really beautiful gut punch indictments of some of the things that we are not so good at here in the U.S. And so I, I love the scope and the honesty of this record. In addition to all the obvious things like the fantastic guitar playing. Um, I didn't really get to talk about him that much, but I just want to throw out there, Josh Kaler is the name of the guy who kind of produced this record and played all of the electric guitar. I don't know Josh Kaler from Adam. I don't know if he is the biggest thing in Nashville and I'm just an idiot who doesn't know who he is or if he's just making his way through the music biz, just like Jackson Emmer is. Uh, but man, did I love every part of this album, including the trimmings and the trappings, musically speaking. Uh, and to sum it all up, I really envy uh, Jackson's discipline. Uh, I mentioned that he went through a period of writing a song a day, and I, I am sure that he does not do that now because... Boy, if he is, he's like twice as dedicated as I already know him to be. Uh, But, you know, he makes it look easy and all the best cowboys do. And so I am going to give this album six out of six strings uh, at the risk of inflating an already inflated market for six, six string reviews here on the two dudes and tunes economy. This album definitely earned six. So I no complaints from me on that front. I think, I think it's well worth it and you can have as many as you want. It's our show. So. Yes. Yes, indeed. No gold backing up this currency, just uh golden pipes as it were. <laughs> we'll just have to run our currency in reverse. It's those one string ones that are worth more. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> If you wrote a one string album that made its way onto this podcast, sell it on eBay. It's worth a lot more than whatever the music was on it. Well, do you want to go into least and uh, most favorite tracks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you should go first since this is your album and I'll give you the floor on that. Okay. Then I will do that. Um, you mentioned last week or a couple of weeks ago that picking a favorite track 
off of one of your albums is like picking children. I don't have any children, but I have to imagine that this is what it feels like <laughs> picking a favorite. Uh, I really love when the lawn gets dark. Uh, it was the song that first really grabbed me when I heard it. I love chasing gold because that song is just straight up cool. Uh, but I think my favorite really is acetaminophen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of hinted at it in my review. I'm not going to beat people over the head with my political beliefs because you probably already get that enough in real life. Uh, but suffice to say, I think that Jackson has his finger on the pulse of things. Uh, it was a song that I not only enjoyed the music to, but I agreed with. Uh, so I think I have to give that song the favorite song badge. Yeah. What, what about you? What was your favorite tune? I remember when we were writing the show notes for this album, uh, trying to cram it in a couple weeks ago, and you would not pick uh-huh. a favorite or a least favorite, and we were both editing the doc at the same time. Uh-huh. I have not updated my notes since you updated this, and so my notes say Chris is a little wimp who won't pick a favorite or a least favorite <laughs> for this album, because at the time you were trying to talk your way out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> And in bold, my note still says, I can actually support that choice on this album. Uh, this well, is I a, appreciate that. <laughs> this is a, I mean, you're still a wimp, but I support you being a wimp. So, you know. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you meeting me where I'm at. Uh, that said, like, Jackson is a regional musician who's clearly pouring his heart out into his music. And it's something that I really can get behind. I don't really have a least favorite song either on this album. Like I really like just about every track on this album for what it is. My favorite song is I think his most tongue in cheek song. And it's the one that uh, I've been going through the whole job interview process, both to hire a new employee to work for me and then also to promote Uh into another job. And so the job interview song, uh, I don't want this is probably my favorite song on this album because it encompasses so many of the feelings I feel about life. Like if I could make a living not working, I would do that. And so the lines about, uh, you know, just kind of tongue in cheek, him talking about, you know, I can create a PowerPoint, you know, the, my one weakness is I care too much. Like all the things you don't, (laughs) you know, all the bad job interview techniques you can come up with. Yes. Uh, it's uh-huh. just so great. Um, but like I said, there is no bad tracks on this album. I really like all of them. You had written down a least favorite song, which you struck through and crossed yes, out because I it's did. sacrilege. I'm just going to say, I'm uh-huh. glad you did because that's my second favorite song on this album. And it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. So for the record, it's Turn Up the Jukebox, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, which is a song I love, but I was like, oh, do I, I I've got to pick one. Oh, but I can't. Uh, do, what do I do? Uh, that's But song, yeah, that, I, all the tracks on this album are fantastic. That song is one of the bangers on this album, and it's the one that you swing uh-huh. dance to at a honky-tonk and just yep. go crazy on. And uh, oh my gosh, it's so good. So I love everything about yeah. that song. But enough about that. Yeah, it's a song that that it mentions Mm two-stepping, and it is a two-step, which is really nice. Um, Well, we have have done it. We've made it to the end of another episode. Why don't you and I step into whatever hallowed hall the Oracle calls home and uh, (laughs) see what she foresees in our future? 
Well, Chris, everybody knows the Oracle lives in apartment 960. Uh, oh, they're, they're somewhere in the urban sprawl. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where we're, go- we're going. But first, we must know thyself. Yeah. So let's press the button yeah. and see what she tells us. Number five from my list, uh, Three Dog Nights, 1968 album one. And I'm going to pull it up right quick just to clarify and make sure I've got the right album. And I don't because I don't know my music as much as I thought I would. So let's, uh, let's talk about something here for a moment. We can do their first album, which was the 1968 album. One has a couple of great hits. Uh, the album I thought I was putting on the list, uh, without realizing it is actually their greatest hits album. Uh, based on the album artwork that I remember when I was a kid. So <laughs> love it. Uh, since I'm well, the king of not I, following the rules, how do you feel about a greatest hits album from a band that really only made music for about seven years? <laughs> I am fine with that because it's a name that I hear all the time, but I could not tell you a single one of their hits. I don't know. <sighs> like I, I've probably, I'm sure I've heard their music on the radio, but I, I, could not correctly attribute it. Three dog to, nights music know. is like the lesser played version of CCR in Vi- Vietnam films. The song that fades out right uh, before fortunate son is generally a three dog night song. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, you're gonna, so you're gonna I love have like it, a, a picture culturally. <laughs> well, good. I'm excited. Uh, Bring so, it on. So we will do instead of one, we'll do three dog nights, the complete hit singles. Uh, which was remastered in 2004. Uh, And I remember this. This is really crazy. In 2004, this would have come out on a CD. But I remember this. Mm -hmm. I remember this on a two-cassette tape set that we used in our 1984 Chevy Celebrity Wagon. So... Fantastic. uh, The the album artwork is kind of cool, and the music is phenomenal. And it'll be cool to talk about a band that, like I said a little bit ago, really had a very small window of impact. They released, I want to say like 10 albums in eight years uh, of original wow. music, a really Here's kind of revolving door of the band. Uh, and then since the 80s, they haven't released anything at all, uh, mm. but they've toured and done a little bit. It'll be a lot of fun to talk about just they are a moment in time, basically, but they wrote awesome. a ton of music that you will hear the influence on a bunch of other uh, musicians kind of moving forward. So that's it. Well, sweet. I'm looking forward to it. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. If you have been enjoying our show, please rate it and review it. This is the thing that we crave more than validation. Please love more us. More than Yeah, uh, more than storage for our many hobbies. We would just love to know, like, are you guys listening? What do you think? Are you listening and loving it? Are you listening and for some reason hating it and still hate listening? Uh, Whatever you have to say, uh, let us know because we might read those comments on air, so to speak. Yes. If you want to get in touch with us, be sure to send us an email at two dudes and tunes at gmail.com. Uh, that's also in the show notes. If you don't want to, you know, figure out how to spell it correctly. 
Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram or Facebook, also in the show notes. Tell us what you thought about Alpine Coda, or Alpine Coda, depending on what part of this country you are from. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday when we learn why one is the loneliest number and meet a good friend of mine, Jeremiah the Bullfrog. Thanks for listening to Two Dudes and Tunes. We will see you next week.